0: An emergency hotline. The car, my kids, they're covered in frosting. Okay, slow down. What happened? We were going to a birthday party. I put the cake on the back seat. I didn't think they could reach it from their car seats. Kids do have a knack for getting what they want. What am I going to do? What you need to do is go to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yes, right now kids and baby clothes are up to 50% off. You'll be able to get those little rugrats looking spick and span for next to nothing. But hurry, the sale ends soon. Thank you. Don't thank me. Thank Old Navy. Bella 51 to 519. Select styles. Certain restrictions apply. See store for details.
1: Lock toy. Good afternoon, Chuck Morse, host of Chuck Morse Speaks here at Blog Talk Radio and iTunes and elsewhere. I want to talk today about an issue with regards to the state of Israel and Israeli society and a population in Israel that is very rarely discussed, mentioned, analyzed, and that is the Palestinian Christians. My guest, Michael Onifer, wrote a book, The God, Israel, and You. The scandalous story of a faithful God, where he talks about his interactions with Palestinian Christians in Israel. Michael, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Okay. You just uh need to bring Michael up there. Sorry about that. Michael, are you there? Oh, Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, sir.
0: Good to be with you. Thanks for having me.
1: You know, your research is uh, quite interesting in that it's not it's a topic that is rarely analyzed by the mainstream press or by anyone, really. And that is the, the phenomenon of the Palestinian Christians. And, of course, the Palestinian Christians uh, have lived in, in Israel going all the way back to the days of Jesus. We're talking about some of the earliest Christians, people who were followers of Jesus in his ministry back in his day, in Roman times. And uh, they live in Israel today, both in Israel and also in Judea and Sumerian region. Now, can you talk a little bit about uh, about them and about their attitudes uh, toward Israel and toward the Jewish state.
0: Sure. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you, you started off on this, because it really is um, one of the most important elements of, of the book, God, Israel, and You. Because there's a number of elements that really need to be uh, understood. They need to be uh, considered. When people look at the Arab-Israeli conflict Because you have today a situation Where the conflict is oversaturated in the media It's very polarized And the Palestinian refugee Has essentially become you know, the mascot um, For the victim um, of the world the, the mascot for the underdog um, And Arab leadership has gone to great lengths to inform the Western world on how they should think and feel about Palestinian refugees and their situation. Um, And so it's really kind of an immediate point of contact for most people when it comes to the Arab-Israeli conflict. And in looking specifically at the Christian Palestinian community It can be very complicated in that you can't generalize any of these groups. So you have traditional mainline Christian groups like the Eastern Orthodox. You have pockets of evangelical groups that are there that are, you know, by definition, very evangelistic and uh, concerned with reaching the Muslim majority that they live amongst with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that makes them unique. You know, in relating to Christians that are pro-Israel, often hear people talk about Palestinian Christians, especially your Catholics, your Eastern Orthodox, and put them in the category of being non-believers, that they really aren't real Christians. And that's a problem for me. Because like you said, some of these communities, um, you know, they trace their family line back to the early church. Some of my friends in Bethlehem say, you know, my ancestors believed in Jesus, and we've been here ever since then. Now, not everybody can say that. Not everybody has the ability to trace their lineage back, but that's a, a realistic claim. That, that they're making that their families could have been a part of the early church and had you know Jewish ancestry and eventually became Christian and then became Arabized
1: the, uh, you know, the entire narrative of the uh, the radical uh, Arab and, uh, and Muslim community and their leftist uh, supporters is adje prop that Israel is somehow victimizing someone. Uh, putting that aside and putting aside their own record of of heinous crimes against humanity. um, And I would put that up against Israel any day. The impression that I get from, and it's a very generalized one, because I only have access to what I read in the paper, and that that has its own biases. But the impression that I get is that the indigenous Christian community in Israel generally is not pro-Israel. And I wonder... First of all, if that's true, and to what extent it's true, and secondly, if it is true, is that does that have to do with more with the the phenomena of of fear of living in a Muslim world where Christians were so abused and um, and there were such human rights abuses for so many centuries that they kind of have i guess a Dimite mentality, a, a sort of a you know a Stockholm syndrome, if you will. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a major factor, and that's something that's clearly dealt with in the book. Um, But first, there's an important distinction to make. You have Israeli Arab Christians. They hold Israeli IDs. They vote in Israeli elections. They go to Israeli schools. Now, those Israeli Christians... You know, you have a spectrum of political ideology and what people are going to say about Israel. But when push comes to shove, if you sit down with an Israeli Arab Christian and you ask them if they want to live in Israel or anywhere else in the Middle East, they're going to say Israel.
1: Because Israel
0: is the only place in the Middle East where religious freedom and gender equality is exemplified. I mean, it's the only place that you can find it in, in, in the Middle East.
1: Exactly. And I also think that's probably true amongst Muslims who live who are Israeli uh, citizens. They also, when push comes to shove, you know, they might, uh, underneath the rhetoric, uh, support Israel. Now, I want to, and, and I would even suggest that 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 could be extended to the um, to so called disputed territories. I mean, you know, if, if there was a poll done in East Jerusalem years ago, and about eighty percent of them wanted to become Israeli citizens. But uh, well, answer my question. That, yeah.
0: That, just ahead. to go back to something else that you mentioned earlier that's very important to what you're talking about now, and that's the idea of uh, Dimiitude, really the reality of Dimiitude. And so I, I think what we're talking about as far as that sentiment of living in Israel is accurate, but it needs to be understood within the context of a Christian minority that has developed for over a thousand years under the thumb of Islam. And so now you look at, let's look at the territories, let's look at the West Bank, Um, and you have a Christian community that has largely come in alignment with the political narrative and objectives of the Muslim majority, and their identity is more closely aligned to the Palestinian narrative than the biblical narrative. Um, You know, many of these Christians are not instructed or encouraged to read the Old Testament. There's very dangerous strains of theological thought coming out of the Palestinian Christian community that, you know, essentially rejects anything in the Old Testament that doesn't agree with the Palestinian narrative. Um, And it's very dangerous liberal theology And the slippery slope is that Jesus then becomes a Palestinian freedom fighter and uh, suicide bombing becomes justified. And you have that. I mean, you have Christians in the West Bank today that will not make a clear statement against suicide bombing.
1: You know, even even the Nazis admitted that Jesus was a Jew. I mean, this is like beyond... um you know, the, the most uh, bizarre twisting of of the Holy Writ that I've I've heard. Um, I guess that uh, you've been out there, Michael. You've been uh, meeting with the people. You, you have a program called the Bethlehem Project. It's a leadership development and job creation program for Pal- Palestinian Christians. you spend spent time, a great deal of time over the years in those communities. Uh, is there a possibility that uh, – there can be an appeal made to traditional Christian views, which is quite frankly that the state of Israel as a Jewish state is the launching pad for the, come, the second coming of, of Christ. And by the way, I would also point out that there's, there's Islamic uh, beliefs that, that point to that as well, but we're talking here about Christian. Yeah. So,
0: you know, the, the paradoxes of the kingdom of God, you know, the answer to that is yes and no. Um, there's nothing that, that God can't do. At the same time, everything that's happening, God is using to accomplish his objective and his redemptive plans in the world. And so even if there is a majority of the Christian population that's never going to look, and speaking of the Palestinian Christian population, that's never going to see this issue from Uh, A fundamentally biblical Standpoint um, You know God's still going to do What he has purposed in his heart To do he is still going to be glorified In the earth and all the things That we read about and are promised about in Scripture are, are going to come to pass And what I believe Is through the context of Relationships That the grace of God Is available for Palestinian Christians To appropriate the call of discipleship to their own lives. And this is something that I struggled with the most when I was writing the book is because I, I'm inviting Palestinian Christians to look at Jesus' call to discipleship, to look at his their cross and to follow him and to take on an identity that's more associated with Christ and his kingdom than with the political narrative that they find themselves within and the situation that they find themselves within. Basically, are they going to love God and his kingdom more than their cultural identities? And it's easy for me to say that as a white boy from New Jersey, but God knows who they are. God knows what families they were born into, and God did all of that on purpose. And so I have to believe that the grace of God is available for them in that situation, understanding that their pursuit of the Lord in that way means something very different than it does for me, that there's a price that they have to pay and there's consequences that come along with that. But the grace of God is sufficient. The person of Jesus is worth them making that decision and following that path. And I believe that we're going to see, especially in the younger generation, we're going to see more and more Palestinian Christians do that.
1: Okay, my guest is Michael Onifer. He's the co-author, along with Joshua Childs, of the book God, Israel, and You, The Scandalous Story of a Faithful God. It's available as a paperback on Amazon.com, at WND.com. That is God, Israel, and you, uh, Michael. You talk about um, the, you know, in a sense, the classic the, the Christian approach. What what actually led to the the conversion of Rome to Christianity um, in the first centuries of, of the faith, uh, and that was a one-on-one uh, proselytizing, a one-on-one relationship. A lot of it was done by women, actually, and that uh, the, the whole message of Christianity, which is a personal relationship with with God through the ministry of Jesus as the intercessor. I mean, to my way of thinking, that is as powerful a spiritual message today as it ever was. And um, I wonder, uh, what uh, what can you tell us about your uh, levels of success with regard to reaching uh, Palestinian Christians and bringing them back to the faith of their fathers and of their ancestors? Well, it's it's a...
0: It's a process, and it's one that involves developing trust and being very honest, you know, right from the get-go. Everything's on the table, um, and just diving into sincere relationship and doing what Scripture teaches and preferring others over yourselves. And so the Bethlehem Project was birthed because I saw a real need uh, with them um, amongst the Palestinian Christian community. And I also saw a tremendous amount of opportunity, a tremendous amount of ability and potential within this community that was just overshadowed by the political turmoil that's there. And so, where I've had success is being able to begin and cultivate relationships. And then within that, Um, you know, trust is developed and and, and people see what my motivations are. And, you know, I've, you know, wept with some of these families that I'm working with. And as we've had very real conversations about the difficulties that they face, and it's, you know, it's not like you know, at hello, I'm sitting down with them and, and trying to, you know, indoctrinate them or something like this. I said, I'm just trying to express the love of God to them in a way that is impacting their immediate needs to cultivate a relationship, prefers them over myself, and in the context of that, being able to point towards things that may allow them to see their situation in a greater biblical context and connect with the person of Jesus that's going to lead them to make consequential and sacrificial decisions.
1: You know, the, uh, the opportunity for them to embrace genuine, authentic Christianity and to align themselves with authentic Judaism and the, the, the multi, sort of the dual covenant, the dual message of, uh, of bringing about the redemption, the, the coming of Christ or the second coming of Christ. You know, there's a, there's an old joke that um, when Christ does come and he's standing up on the top of the Mount of Olives, the Israeli government is going to send out a, a, an official, an emissary to greet him. And he's going to say, so is this, uh, are you here for the first time or is this your return trip? But, uh, you know, we, we all share the commonality of a belief that, uh, that the establishment of the state of Israel, which is commanded in the Torah, the Bible, the Old Testament, is the stage setting for the coming of the Messianic age and the coming of the Messiah, however that happens, and God willing it happens soon. But that's something that uh, I would think that uh, Christians, Israel, indigenous Christians who trace their ancestry back to the days of Jesus, who originally were Jews and who are Jews in the sense of Christianity being a Jewish um uh, ethos that that they would find the idea of such an embrace to be exciting and to make them a sort of a part of this this movement of this uh, this uh, spiritual development and 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 they would find kinship with the uh, fellow jews on the who who are also part of the spiritual movement in Israel
0: well you would think that and uh the The element of that, the dynamic that needs to be considered is that, you know, in a Western mindset, um, we have room for people to begin thinking differently and just kind of jump tracks and go in a different direction, direction, you know. So somebody can, you know, pick up a book and it can have ideas in it that can create a complete paradigm shift. And because of the way that Western civilization is structured and the ideals that we prioritize, you know, people can think independently, they can act independently, and it's applauded. Um, In an Eastern mindset, in a Muslim mindset, that's very different, very different. And so the idea of being identified within your community as opposed to, to being identified as an individual is very different, and so the consequences for somebody to look at that and then begin to adjust course is very different than what many of us can can appreciate coming from a, a Western mindset. And one of the main things that I hope people get from the book is that you can be pro-Israel and pro-Arab or pro-Jewish and and pro-Arab. There's not a dichotomy there. And that if we really want to see God move in amongst the Palestinian community and we want to be a part of that, we need to understand them a little bit better. We need to take time to understand where they're coming from, understand their situation, understand the way that they're thinking, and so that we can, in in a way, come alongside them, in a way that we can share the burdens that they're dealing with. Um, And, you know, we can pray for them and do it with, with a heart that's empathetic towards them um and and that's really what I hope we can do is that we can begin thinking about the Palestinian community a different way, both for Christians that are very pro-Israel already and also Christians that are very pro-Palestinian, because we talk about what's going on. Um, It's actually Joshua Charles coined the phrase, um, the Arab-Israeli conflict syndrome, um, where people are coming to conclusions without a lot of information, um, and they are being motivated more by their emotions than they are by facts and you're getting very involved in the conflict without really knowing what's going on. And so we look at very clear examples of how if you just go a couple steps further, if you look a little bit deeper, you understand that things aren't exactly what they appear to be. Um, And with that being said, um, I don't believe that the Palestinian Christians involved with these things are malicious or being deceptive, but it's a part of the bigger problem that goes into the diminutive, that goes into understanding the culture, that goes into understanding the community that's more aligned with a political narrative than the narrative of redemptive history and their place in it. And we need to consider those things.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I don't think that they have been deceptive. I think they've been deceived, maybe. But uh, you yeah. touch upon something, that I think, Michael, that's interesting with regard to the, the difference, where there's a departure between Western understandings and uh, Islamic understandings. And that, and that emanates teachings of Jesus, which took hold in the West and which gave birth to the Western civilization and to the United States. And that is this emphasis on the individual and their personal voluntary relationship with God, that um, it's a covenant between the individual and God through Jesus. And Judaism is a covenant between the individual and God by essentially taking possession of this tiny little swath of land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River and living a holy life. It's It's a covenantal faith but it's an individual one. It's not one that causes the individual to be sublimated. Uh, We don't, you know, we we basically try to live a good life based upon the Holy Codes that were given at Sinai and through the ministry of Jesus. And I think that that's very different than the Islamic Code, which, of course, Islam conquered these countries and and submitted people to its faith and put them into a second-class citizenship status. They occupied these countries many, many centuries ago. So in a sense, it's very difficult, I would imagine, for Christians who have been living under that rule and who kind of had to reconcile themselves to it to take an embrace of genuine Christianity, which requires the emergence of the sovereign individual with equal rights. Uh, You know, the the development of Western institutions that emanate from that. Rights come from the creator and not from the state. That these ideas run contrary to very oppressive ideas that exist within Islam, which is a total submission to a mystical God um, and that 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 God is basically translated by a group of of people, men, Mullins, who decide what that God thinks and what he doesn't think. In a sense, it's a replacement of the ancient pagan idea. So, you know, I guess that uh, you know something that, that hopefully Palestinian Christians might think about is that by embracing the Western idea of Christianity, they can not only be more authentic as Christians, but they can liberate themselves from this mindset of dimitude. They can become sovereign individuals. They can look at the state of Israel, which is influenced by the West, which quite frankly is influenced by Christianity, to to become more fulfilled citizens and more self-actualized human beings
0: yeah and i i agree with that and i i want to make one point of clarification in that it's not western christianity as much as it is christianity mm-hmm.
1: essentially
0: provided the foundations which created Western civilization. And that's the thing is it's not a matter of them looking at a Western Christianity. I don't want them to adopt a Western Christianity. I want them to adopt a biblical Christianity. And what most people fail to recognize, and this is why Josh's book, Liberty Secrets, is so important. Um, And if you haven't had him on yet for Liberty Secrets, you need to have him on. I mean, the book is absolutely tremendous. And Um, He talks about these ideas, that that they came from the Bible, the way that the founders looked at the Bible, the way that they understood Christianity and the role that that played in identifying individual rights, and now the way that that has become a part of Western civilization – that most people, especially in my generation, they don't even understand why they think the way that they do. They don't even understand right. why they got the idea in their head that they can march around their college campuses and have temper tantrums about you know, safe space. They, they don't even realize why that became an idea in their mind. They don't realize how different that is from so many other places in the world when for you to do something like that, could mean something very significant, very negative consequences could take place. The idea of freedom oh, yeah. of expression and free press. And they just take these things from granted and don't understand that these ideas came from a group of men that looked to scripture and God to create a new way for people to live and govern themselves. And it started Absolutely. with self-governance.
1: Well, well, and when that's I talk a
0: Christian idea. Then.
1: That's right. But when I say Western Christianity, I don't mean that in a chauvinistic sense. I mean it only in that, um, for whatever reason, it was in the West, in Europe, in the United States, where Christianity became sovereign, where Christianity became free, where these governments and these societies became Christian, as opposed to the East, which is also, there are Christians, of course, but they had to live under the jackboot of Islam all these centuries, and they were influenced by that. And I think that the mindset that emanates from that is one based on fear, based on, the, you know, as I said earlier, the Stockholm Syndrome, the idea that you learn to love your oppressor because uh, otherwise, you know, you're going to be in big trouble. I mean, from centuries of that kind of oppression, the, you have this mindset that's, um, that, is, that, that they can be awakened from, that they can realize that the Christian ideal is not chauvinistically Western, but that they can learn from the free part of Christianity, this is sort of societies that could be built. But Michael, we're reaching yeah, toward the end of the sure. program, so I'd like you to talk a little bit about your book, about the Bethlehem project, where people can get in touch with you, how they can get the book, and any other information you'd like to impart.
0: Sure. So the the book's available on Amazon. It's available at the WND Superstore. Um, You can also visit michaelonifer.com to get in touch with me or uh, request signed books. And then the Bethlehem Project can be found at thebethlehemproject.com. And what we're doing there is we're identifying young Palestinian leaders and we're helping them um, with small businesses. We're empowering them to be able to change, you know, their immediate circumstance. And in the process, begin developing leaders that are not just running businesses, but their lives from a Christ-centered Biblical standpoint And we're just using the paradigm of business To teach the kingdom of God And implement the kingdom of God And help them to see the opportunity That they have And just to, to give them some encouragement To push through The the shadow Of the political and religious turmoil That they live in To be able to see that They, they do have a hope And a future uh, because of the reality of Jesus and and the cross. And for people out there that you're pro-Israel and um, you're looking at the next generation and concerned about where they are with Israel and the Jewish people and the Palestinians, I encourage you to, to get the book, give it to your children, your grandchildren, give it to the youth pastor, the young adults pastor, at your church, and get this into their hands. I've been cultivating this message on Israel specifically for millennials over the past 10 years with millennials in Israel. And I believe the book does it in a way where it really connects their heart to the person of Jesus and allows them to engage this issue um, from a place of sincerity to where it not only influences the way that they see Israel, but ultimately it allows them to see themselves within the context of redemptive history in a significant way, hence the title, God, Israel, and You, because Israel ultimately is about the knowledge of God, and our knowledge of God determines how we relate to him and how he uses us in the earth.
1: Michael, I want to thank you for joining me. The book, again, is God, Israel, and You, The Scandalous Story of a Faithful God. It's available at Amazon, at WMD, Um, and The Bethlehem Project. Again, how can people get in touch with it?
0: Thebethlehemproject.com
1: Okay. Michael, thank you so much again for joining me this afternoon. It's been really interesting. Thanks a lot, Michael. Take care. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.